Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Dragic, 107-107. Oh my goodness. Goran Dragic has tied the game and there are 12 seconds left. One shot. Middleton is holding it. They're going to let Middleton take the last shot. Seven, six, five, four. Middleton drives. Double team. Flips it up. Oh! Oh! Chris! Middleton with 0.5 seconds. Oh my goodness. Ladies and gentlemen and non-binary peoples alike, holy shit, what a day of basketball and hockey and golf and all of the amazing sports that we had on Saturday. (laughs) Welcome into Wired Up episode 74. My name is Kyle, and I am delighted to be here with you today. Thanks again for making us a part of your Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, or whenever it is that you're stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. Make sure to leave those five-star ratings and those reviews when you depart. We've got a great show planned for you today, which technically already began a second ago when we played that amazing sound of me on an Instagram Live slash YouTube live stream, both of which you can check out with the link in the description to today's episode. But we were live streaming the end of the Bucks and Heat game. And uh, we captured that amazing moment of the end of Goran Dragic hitting a game-tying three-pointer with the Heat down three and Giannis hitting two free throws to make it a three-point game. And then having Miami tie the game no timeout called by the Bucks. They just played it out straight up. Having Giannis in the clear out, which is the right strategy, but it's just something you don't think about until you're in the moment and you're watching Chris Middleton take the ISO ball against, uh, I believe it was Iguodala there, but then they switched him on to Duncan Robinson. I believe they wanted to get that matchup in there. So they got him shooting over Duncan Robinson and uh, the Milwaukee Bucks survived the Duncan Robinson game. Uh, and that's a huge ass deal for the Milwaukee Bucks is surviving the Duncan Robinson game. If you can survive the Duncan Robinson game, then you are going to be all right when this series comes down the stretch because they were losing the not Duncan Robinson game last year. And to be fair, I, I was going through Twitter after the game and I was seeing some of the stats about it. So I just want to read a couple off real quick. So Jimmy Butler shot four for 22 from the field. Bam Adebayo shot four for 18 from the field. That's a combined 20% between the two of them. Now, the thing that kept Miami in the game was 27 points from Goran Dragic in the aforementioned Duncan Robinson game. I believe Duncan had 
six or seven threes in the game. That's where the most of his points came from. But he had the first three buckets of the game and then a couple big ones down the stretch in the fourth quarter. And Goran Dragic had 27 off the bench. And Tyler Hero, a little bit of a non-factor. But for those who have been paying attention to the Heat this year, we kind of come to expect that from Tyler Hero at this point. And Miami... The reason that I was talking Bucks in four and we're talking mess, apart from just the theatrics of we're Giannis people here. Giannis is the greatest basketball player in the world. The Bucks are much better than they were last year. Giannis is healthy because I still attest in my blind spot world that I live in, this crazy world of sports fandom where I've spent the entire Saturday going between that and reading books and all the weird stuff that I exactly exist for. Um, with that being said, you should check out our podcast and our YouTube and our Instagram, and you should follow all of those and buy merch from us. Anyways, so uh, what I was talking about with the Miami Heat, the reason that I felt most confident the Bucks would run through this series is because the Miami Heat are much poorer offensively this year than they were last year. The Miami Heat average points per game about 12 less than the Milwaukee Bucks, which offensively is pretty significant to overcome even when you factor in the fact that the Miami Heat have the Giannis killing offense, or I'm sorry, the Giannis killing defense, um, I thought Miami was going to struggle to score points against the Milwaukee Bucks, and that would ultimately be their downfall. And with all the shortcomings of Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, they did survive the Duncan Robinson game, albeit with some stresses there. And Jimmy Butler came through in the end when he hit that game ceiling, or I'm sorry, overtime ceiling two-point scoop layup, which we also, of course, have the sound effects for on the Take It Easy podcast. Or, I'm sorry, not sound effects. We, of course, have the call of me on YouTube of the Jimmy Butler play. Of course we do. Wow, I am, uh, I'm going to have to live that one down in the pause here. So, no Tyler Hero at the end here. Do you go for the three or do you go for the two? Eight seconds left. Dragic is the inbounder, flips it up to Butler. Butler catches it just in front of the three-point line. Five, four, backs out to three. He's going to pull up over Giannis, driving, flipping up, two-pointer, overtime! We're going to overtime! Oh my goodness! Jimmy Butler! The bucket to go to overtime! When we came into the podcast, I had initially assumed that we'd be starting off with Jimmy Butler hitting that game-tying two-pointer scoop layup uh, as the original sound, but we got even better sound of Chris Middleton and uh, that buzzer beater. So we, I wanted to play both of those in there. Why? Because I feel like I did a pretty damn good job calling both of those. Anyways, um, so with that being said, back to our point about the Miami Heat. I didn't think they'd be able to generate enough offense, and Jimmy Butler didn't have a great game, even though he came through in those moments, but the fact that the Bucks got out of that one with a win makes you feel confident that when the Bucks are on their game and they start picking apart that Heat defense, which even in defeat last year, in the games that they played with Giannis, people forget that game too. M Milwaukee played pretty well breaking apart that Miami defense. It just ended up Miami had a supernova game from Jimmy Butler to help them seal the deal. I think it was like 116, 114, but 
Giannis and the Bucks offense did a great job in that game two last year, picking apart the Bucks. Or I'm sorry, the the Heat defense. And so, eventually, they'll have the game where they start picking apart the defense. And Milwaukee, that game was so great. Like that that Miami Milwaukee game was just unbelievably good. And to have it come down the way it did, and for the Bucks to walk out with a win, makes me feel even more confident going forward in the series that. It might take five or six games. It's not going to be the Bucks in four and they win every game by 27 points, like I jokingly said. But it does feel like this is one that even if it takes five or six games, the Bucks should win this series. And ultimately, that feels good for me as a Giannis stand, but also just going forward in the playoffs. I feel like the Bucks being able to exert that authority is going to make it infinitely more interesting when they play the Brooklyn Nets in round two. And that's a seamless transition into the third game, but also the second, well, I guess, the the least interesting game of the evening. And that was Brooklyn and Boston, which was still pretty interesting, to be fair, which we'll get to Clippers and Mavericks in a sec with a big picture story about the Clippers here. But just some quick notes from the Brooklyn-Boston game. Um, Boston was heavily favored by Vegas. I think Vegas took like 84% of the money line bets on the Boston Celtics, which some of that is to be expected when Brooklyn's like minus 300 and Boston's plus 280. Um, You expect a lot of people to bet money more so towards Brooklyn, but 84% being a bit dramatic. But the Boston Celtics, Vegas was on the right track. Like Boston with... Kemba not playing his best game and Tatum didn't not having like the flashy stat lines. The fact that Boston was still in the game into the third quarter was pretty remarkable and that they had the halftime lead and that they controlled the game thoroughly in the first half, even though, you know, Brooklyn had all three of their stars who had by the end of the game ended up dropping 81 combined points between Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving and James Harden, which is freaking ridiculous. Like, it's crazy how good those Brooklyn Nets teams looked when all three of them played together in the second half specifically. Both teams ultimately did kind of shoot poorly in this game while playing, you know, semi-functional defense. The Celtics were not great defensively and, you know, the Brooklyn Nets are not a good defensive team at all. So playing some semi-functional defense. And so by the time the second half came around, it ended up being a statement game for Brooklyn, which to be honest, when you see Kyrie, Katie, or, yeah, Kyrie, Katie, and Harden all play together for the ninth time since the trade back in January, when all three are on the floor at the same time, a statement game was a very real possibility. And they made that statement in the second half when they just kind of like dominated the Celtics team that, you know, Celtics of, I was, I was talking shit with Cam a little bit, but I was saying that, uh, you know how hard times the Celtics have fallen on when we're treating you like the Orlando Magic? And we're like, oh my god, the Celtics might win game one in the series. Oh my goodness. And last year, one of the worst podcasts we ever did was overreacting to Orlando winning a game one against the Bucks. Um, One of the least popular and terrible podcasts we've ever done. Um, But it was the Boston Celtics being treated like the Orlando magic on Twitter is a a signal of the hard times that Boston has fallen on at this point. But by the second half, Brooklyn kind of just smacked them around like we kind of expected they would, but had the Celtics shot better, I think Vegas would have been on the right track. I think Vegas would have nailed their pick on that Celtics nets game. And, uh, 
the Celtics shot like 38% from the field at the end of the game and didn't have the flashy numbers. And Brooklyn ultimately ended up covering an eight point spread when it looked like that was uh, near impossible for a while. But Brooklyn made the statement in the second half, but there was a very real scenario that they weren't going to win that game. And it's one game in Brooklyn we know is going to win the series. So there's no like overreaction to it. It's just fascinating and, and fresh on my mind to analyze that from a Brooklyn standpoint. Cause if you watch the game, we actually got to see Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving and James Harden play together. Most of us for the first time, I think the only other time I've watched a game where all three play together was the uh, MLK game when they played against Milwaukee, which was probably for my money, the best regular season game of the entire season was that Brooklyn Milwaukee game in a, in a season of very forgettable regular season games. <laughs> um, I think that MLK Milwaukee Brooklyn game was definitely my favorite of the season. And so that was the only other time I'd seen all of them play together and combine for those 81 points um, that they did against the Boston Celtics. But We know Brooklyn's going to win the series. This is more of like a statement of Kyrie, KD, and Harden, the old guys exiting their prime, trying to keep this window open. They have officially arrived, and we all know they're going to win the series, but uh, the second half did kind of end up being that statement after a uh, shaky first half that Vegas anticipated. They just didn't anticipate Boston shooting as crappy as they ended up by the end of the game, not just like one player or two players, but as a team. It was just the only good thing was like Robert Williams blocking shots and Jason Tatum, you know, I don't think he made a field goal in the second half. So we'll say Jason Tatum's first half and Robert Williams blocking eight shots. Like that's the only good thing that happened for the Boston Celtics. And what's going to go down is a series where they're just like waiting for someone to put them out of their misery. Like the, uh, the 76ers last year when they took on Boston in the first round. Uh, when they didn't have Ben Simmons in the bubble, and they're like, just put us out of our misery already. Just just end us already. And that's where Boston's at right now. It's just put us out of our misery. We're not even happy being the seven seed. I We talked to Cam on, I guess we were just on the phone. I guess it wasn't a podcast. But he's like, dude, I just want, <laughs> he told me, I just want to lose these playing games so we can get the higher draft pick. Like, I don't give a shit about playing the Celtics or playing the Celtics playing the Nets in the first round. Like it's just totally pointless at this point. So Boston's just waiting for someone to put them out of their misery. And uh, for a split second there, it looked like they were going to win. And if they had one, I would have come here and told you, you can't get to Nets in five without the Celtics winning one of those games. This is Kyle from the future. So just before going to production here on Sunday morning, I felt like I would uh, put out a little bit of a disclaimer slash PSA and give a shout out to my boy Dame Dalla and the Portland Trailblazers. They were the late game. I got to be honest, I didn't watch very much of the game until like the last fourth quarter and even the fourth quarter I was zoning in and out and uh, trying to update my Spotify playlist. By the way, does anyone else have trouble updating their gigantic Spotify playlist? It's always so difficult to find the things that you've added in the past. Um, Maybe it would be easier with different playlists, but I just got one 900 song playlist. Anyways, Damian Lillard, 32 points, 12 rebounds. Had to add that in post-production. We'll have lots of time to talk with other people about the Blazers Nuggets series, but no big research I have for that one. Uh, Blazers won. This has been Kyle from the future.
So for our main topic of the day here, and we're kind of throwing it back to these pre-pandemic podcasts and, uh, or I'm sorry, no, the, the pre whatever the four, the four months when we were uh, in the pandemic, we're kind of throwing it back to those kind of podcasts right now where we have an A block, a B block and a main story here today. So for our main story, I wanted to talk about the Clippers uh, because they played a fun game one yesterday against the Dallas Mavericks that although it didn't have the theatrics of a Chris Middleton game winner after Jimmy Butler hits a game tying scoop layup at the buzzer of regulation. It was a real, I think certainly the most fascinating storyline and one that got me riveted for about 25 minutes of research that I'd like to share here in a 25 minute podcast, because isn't that how research works? You do 25 minutes of fun, interesting research all for a podcast. that's going to end up being about 20 minutes. So, uh, the, Clippers ended up losing the first game to the Dallas Mavericks, and Luka Doncic balled out in that first game. Luka Doncic had a 31-point triple-double, and I'm pretty certain he didn't score a basket after like five minutes left in the game. And that was when the the Dallas Mavericks pulled away with Tim Hardaway going nuts. Like, he was awesome. I know... Um, What's his name? Dorian Finney-Smith, which is a name that when I first heard it many years ago when he was on those crappy Sixers teams, I'm like, ha, that's a name that will never matter. It's just a funny name, Dorian Finney-Smith. Well, he had 18 points and ended up finishing five rebounds and giving like real significant minutes down the stretch for the Dallas Mavericks. And, and Tim Hardaway, as I mentioned, actually finished with 21-4-1 and now that I have the stat lines in front. And Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson had 11 points in the fourth quarter. And Luka Doncic didn't score for the last five, six minutes of the game and still finished with a 31-point triple-double. Like, he was the reason they got in it, and then his supporting cast, like, took the reins and carried it for the Dallas Mavericks. So Dallas is the interesting point where I want to start this Clippers conversation because the natural progression of a young team and Dallas is very much a young team, like a young team trying to establish themselves. This is the thing I talk about with the Utah jazz and why I think Utah could be a a serious like conference finals contender and they can slip through the cracks and make the NBA finals because of what's going on with the Clippers and the Lakers in the West. Like the Utah could legitimately slip through the cracks and be third in line to make the NBA finals. So, The Dallas Mavericks are a young team beginning to establish themselves. And the point I was making with Utah is that Utah is now in their fourth year with this cast of characters. With Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, this is their fourth playoff run. So they've gone through the progressions before. They First year together, Donovan Mitchell's rookie season, they beat the Clippers in seven games and then got bounced immediately by the Houston Rockets in 2018. 2019, they again made the second round, got bounced by the... Golden State Warriors. 2020, last year in the bubble, remember, they were up three games to one against the D- the Denver Nuggets in the first round in what was just a truly thrilling series. Like, Jamal Murray had a couple 40-point games. Donovan Mitchell went for 50. Like, that Nuggets-Jazz series was just riveting basketball in the 6-3 matchup. And... When Utah lost, I thought, I'm like, okay, so Utah's kind of gone to the pinnacle of what they could be, which is second round exit. They're going to fall off the face of the earth. And then they turned around and made the number one seed and proved me aggressively and egregiously wrong through this season. So 
claps to shout out to Utah for that one um, for proving me very, very wrong. I was so wrong about the Utah Jazz, um, but this is about the Dallas Mavericks. So the Mavericks are in year two of that phase right now where last year was their first dip in the playoffs. They got an epic playoff memory that they'll that Mavericks fans will carry with them through this magical, you know, decade long run with Luka Doncic where he hit that game four buzzer beater in the bubble, like stepping back and shooting to make it a two, two series before the Clippers just ended up smacking them across the side of the head with the rest of that series. And so the natural progression we assume for Dallas is that they should then get closer this year than they were last year. Because think about this. Dallas, of course, is getting better. Luka Doncic got better year over year. They added Josh Richardson, which, you know, compared to Seth Curry, hasn't been as much of a help. But Tim Hardaway Jr. had a career year. Dorian Finney-Smith is giving significant minutes, not just in this game, but down the stretch through the whole season. He's kind of becoming like their Robert Covington, a 3 and D guy. And so, of course, we expect Dallas to get better. Last year, they finished as the seven. Well, also, we expect that to happen. And we've seen the results. Last year, Dallas was a seven seed that finished a couple games above 500. And then they were a seven seed that made it to the first round of the playoffs, played a championship contender in the Clippers as their first playoff experience. And the Dallas Mavericks ended up getting bounced in six games, but we didn't even expect they would make six games. We all looked at that and said, oh my goodness, the Dallas Mavericks are so far ahead of schedule. And so last year, the Dallas Mavericks finished, you know, uh, what is it? Nine games over 500 and uh, ended up getting bounced immediately in the first round of the playoffs. This year, the Dallas Mavericks finished 12 games over 500 and they ended up getting the five seed. So they've gotten better year over year. And so we expect when they make the playoffs, once again, they'll get closer than they did the year before if they are progressing faster than the rest of the league. And we assume that if you play a five, if you're a five seed and you're playing a four seed, you're getting an easier matchup to potentially advance further. Maybe not make it out of the first round, but get closer to making it out of the first round than you were last year, which was really a Clippers in five situation where Luca, who because he's so amazing and going to be the face of a generation that comes five years from now, Luka Doncic, ended up carrying them to six games. So we expect that maybe they'll have a six-game series. Maybe they'll have a seven-game series. Maybe they'll even win a first-round series and then get clapped in the second round by one of these real champions. But that's the natural progression of the Dallas Mavericks in year two. Unfortunately for the Dallas Mavericks, their reward for being the five-seed is playing the exact same Clippers team that they played last year because the Los Angeles Clippers, who finished with the second-best strength of record last this year, ended up choosing at the end of the season by throwing a couple of games to get the four seed instead of being the three seed. So instead of playing the Nuggets, which I think would have been a more winnable matchup for the Dallas Mavericks, they end up getting the Los Angeles Clippers. And Dallas, we would expect, would improve on their natural progressions and give the four seed a run for their money. Maybe a six, maybe a seven. But when we saw them playing the Clippers, I think a lot of us said, Clippers in six, Clippers in seven, Clippers in five. Um, we kind of just assumed the Clippers would end up winning that series rather handily because they have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And they may end up going on to win this series rather handily. To be honest, I don't have a grip on this series through one game. That first game 
kind of threw me for a loop because of how dominant Dallas did look over the Los Angeles Clippers and how much deja vu I was getting to last year when the Clippers lost like six games and one they were seven and six in the playoffs last year. So you never it never felt like the Clippers, except for those last couple games against Dallas, it never felt like the Clippers were truly dominating the Western Conference with their first iteration of Kawhi and Paul George. And for those wondering, like, it's the second year of Kawhi and Paul George, Kawhi and Paul George are in the middle of their prime. Luka Doncic is 22 years old. So the young team with an average age of 22 is learning to establish themselves with this current iteration of the team. Uh, Giannis had to do it too. Giannis is in his third year with the current iteration of this team. I know they had a technically actually fourth year because they had a first round beat down with Jason Kidd before Giannis finally entered his prime and started winning some MVPs. So the Dallas Mavericks are in the current iteration of this team. And to be honest, this iteration of the team might not make it farther than getting bounced in the first round or the second round. They may trade Porzingis. They may have to rebuild around Luka for a couple years. They might get a lottery pick one of these years and miss the playoffs. Like Just this current iteration of the Mavericks has a 22-year-old superstar, so that doesn't guarantee that they're going to make a run to the finals because at a certain point, they'll peak, and then they'll decline, and then they'll reshape the roster, and they'll peak again. There's probably going to get two runs with Luka Doncic before he ends up hitting free agency. And then, you know, maybe he'll stay. Maybe he won't. You'll you'll figure out. Sometimes you end up like the Blazers, where the Blazers went to the mountain. They made a Western Conference Finals, made two second rounds. And now they've kind of just been hanging around in first round exits for the last couple of years. They got bounced in the first round last year as an eight seed. They'll probably get bounced as a six seed this year. They're kind of just hanging around in purgatory, trying to rebuild that team on the fly. But for the Dallas Mavericks, we expect they'll take the natural progressions. And game one against the Clippers looked like a natural progression. I also acknowledge it's a one-game sample size, and it could end up being like, oh, it might end up looking like a fluke. But this game didn't look like, oh my gosh, Dallas won because the Clippers did X, Y, and Z wrong. Dallas just beat the Clippers. And Luka had a 31-point triple-double in basically three quarters. And Jalen Brunson and Dorian Finney-Smith outplayed the Clippers down the stretch and found that offensive firepower down the stretch. Think about that. They outscored the Clippers by like 10 points in the last five minutes, and Luka didn't have a bucket. So you could point to that and say, well, that might not happen again. But I point to it also, well, then Luka can do more than just a 31-point triple-double. They won this game without Luka. And that's where I point to and I say, This could not be a fluke. We could be looking at a long series or something that might be like totally shocking. I'd say like a 0.001% chance. The Mavericks running through the Clippers. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think we could also be in store for a long series. Like it's infinite. It's like 20 times more likely the Clippers will crush the Mavericks than it is that the Mavericks will crush the Clippers in five games. But I'm still throwing out there that everything is on the table in this Mavericks Clippers series. Like, it's not like the the Celtics Nets where we're just waiting for the Nets to put Boston out of their misery. Like, everything is on the table at this point for the Dallas Mavericks and Los Angeles Clippers series. And so to that, I look to the Clippers and I say, are the Clippers better this year than they are last year? This is an important question because if the, if we know the Mavericks are progressing, and it took us a while to get to that route, but if we know the Dallas Mavericks are progressing 
and we know the Dallas Mavericks got better year over year. They won, They were nine games over 500 last year. They were a seven seed who lost in six games, but was really like a five-game series that Lucas stole a game from them in game four with an epic buzzer beater. Now they're a five seed, 12 games over 500 in a shortened season. So if we project out the full season, that means they would have been 14 games over 500. So they got five games better year over year. Oh, wait, I guess last year was COVID season two. So let's say, yeah, three games better year over year and five seed instead of a seven seed. So we know the Mavericks are getting better. Are the Clippers better this year than they were last year? And it looks like a lot of us who are casual fans and not necessarily into the nerdy stuff, like with formulas and stuff, a lot of us kind of said throughout the season, we don't know what the Clippers are until we get to the playoffs. And so now we're all in the playoffs, just starting the playoffs nonetheless. But we're kind of looking around like, well, now we've seen one game and we're going to see two and three and four, and we're going to be expected to judge the Clippers based on those two, three, four, five games, because that's all the sample size we have. And the Clippers, the regular, the NBA regular season is totally meaningless, but it's especially meaningless when you have those two superstars of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and you know that that team is good and you know Kawhi Leonard has his injury problems. It's especially meaningless for those teams. And so we can look up and ask ourselves the question to help us like in the simplest form, analyze the Clippers Mavericks series. We know the Mavericks have gotten three games better than where they were last year, which was a five or six game exit against the Clippers. It was technically six games, but it felt like a Clippers in five series. Like Lucas stole a game from the Clippers single-handedly. And then the Clippers came back in game five and game six and smacked the Dallas Mavericks, like not even close. So we know the Mavericks are getting better. Did the Clippers get better as well? And maybe they come around in the next few games, but I'm just going to throw it out there. No idea. The first game did not reassure me that the Clippers got better year over year because it just reminded me of what happened last year where the Clippers won 50% of their playoff games. They were 7-6 and six in the bubble last year. And now if you throw in this loss, that means Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are 7-7 seven and seven in their careers in the postseason playing for the Los Angeles Clippers. And so I'm not feeling reassured at all. Like I'm I'm feeling nervous about this if I'm a Clippers fan or if I'm a Dallas Matt or I'm sorry, if I'm a Clippers fan or a Kawhi Leonard fan like I am, I have no idea if the Clippers are better or not. And the first game doesn't reassure me that the Clippers are better than not, but we have to evaluate some of these things on the fly because now we're into the playoffs and small sample sizes dictate the playoffs. Even if the NBA has the largest sample sizes of any sport because they play seven games in a sport where seven games generally means the best team is going to advance 75 to 80% of the time, unlike baseball, where there's no guarantee that the best team is going to advance from the playoffs. You can guarantee like 80 to 85% of the time in the NBA, the best team is going to advance in a seven game series. 75 to 85, let's say. I'll I'll give myself some wide girth on that one. Uh, Phrasing was interesting on that. But anyways, I don't feel reassured if I'm a Clippers fan at this point, and I don't feel reassured trying to evaluate the Clippers. And so what I wanted to do with this analysis of the Clippers to figure out truly have the Clippers gotten better year over year was to go back and look at some of the advanced analytics from this season. And to be honest, something that would have just made it easier was a statement game. 
And maybe we'll get that down the road and be like, okay, the Clippers are awesome or two statement games or beating the Mavericks in five games and doing it rather handily. Like that would be a statement to be like, okay, the Clippers are still really good and they're not a first round bombing against the Dallas Mavericks away from like breaking up the entire team and the Clippers curse striking again. But I also look at the Los Angeles Clippers and I say, I don't know whether or not they are great or not. So let's turn to their regular season analytics to decide. So their projected win total last year was 49 wins and 23 losses. That's what uh, NBA basketball reference had as their projected win total going into the season. The Clippers finished 74 and 25, but I can also throw in the fact that they tossed those two games away by sitting every everyone at the very end of the season. But over a large sample size, I think we can account for the fact that 80 or what is it? 72 games is enough of a sample size to get a a representative dichotomy based on projected win totals. So I would say the Clippers. Yeah, I I mentioned this in my uh, Instagram bio. I use big words sometimes. Um, So we can get this dichotomy of the Clippers and say, okay, the Los Angeles Clippers are about where we thought the projected win totals would be. So let's go to specific stats here. Last year, the Los Angeles Clippers had the second best strength of record in the NBA. I mentioned that earlier on. So based on the equation of the opponents that they played, the number of minutes that their stars played, uh, compared to the difficulty of their schedule and their record at the end, they finished second in strength of record. They finished second in net rating last year at a 6.9, which means they, when they won, they dominated. And when they lost, they lost by a closer score. So they finished second in the league in net rating. So net rating is just points scored minus points allowed and then divide it by the number of games played. So 72. They got 6.9 positive net rating. So when they won, they killed teams. And when they lost, they lost by close margins considering that they had the eighth best record in the league and the second best net rating. They were fourth in the league in offensive rating, which you expect from the Clippers. And they were eighth in defensive rating, which was a decline from last year. Uh, The Clippers were technically a little worse defensively this year than they were last year. And some of that is to be expected when you change up the roster a little bit like they did and, and miss Patrick Beverly for a good portion of the season. And, you know, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard pop in and out. But still, compared to last year, They were worse defensively slightly, but still top 10 in the NBA. So they're top eight in offense and defense. And in terms of win shares, which win shares we've talked about before, win shares are the closest stat that most resembles the eye test in the NBA. Uh, 17 of the last 20 MVPs led the league in win shares. Win share numbers tell us who is the most productive player on the floor, most resembling the eye test. So in total win shares, win shares per 48 minutes, and defensive win shares, well, sorry, and offensive win shares. We'll throw that in there. They were really dependent on Kawhi Leonard this last season because Kawhi Leonard blows the team out of the water in win shares. To be expected. But guess who was second on that win shares list? Ivica Zubac. Third on that list was Kawhi Leonard, but next on this list was... I think it was, so next up on the list, I believe was, in total win shares, I believe it was Batum 
if I remember correctly. And then, you know, they kind of filter in Patrick Beverly, Marcus Morris, guys who are kind of in and out throughout the season. So that's total win shares. Win shares per 48 is even more startling because win shares per 48 measures how much you're contributing per game, basically, on a per game basis. So it accounts for people who are out for most of the season. Kawhi was one. Zubach was two. Terrence Mann was up there as one of their most efficient players. And Paul George was like eighth in win shares, which is not like the only metric that matters. Like Kawhi Le- or Paul George is very clearly awesome. It just meant Paul George was not very efficient last year for the Los Angeles Clippers. But Kawhi led the league significantly in offensive win shares, significantly led the team in win shares per 48, which you'd expect. It's Kawhi Leonard. But nobody was even in the realm of Kawhi Leonard, which means he was doing a lot of the success for the Clippers by himself. Defensive win shares, first on the team in defensive win shares. Second was Paul George, but first on the team in defensive win shares. And that gap was what I would expect. It was much closer, but I would have expected that from like total win shares instead of uh, Kawhi Leonard being... Uh, I would expect that, like, instead of Kawhi Leonard dominating every statistic except defensive win shares, I would have expected, like, Kawhi might dominate defensive win shares and everything else, him and Paul George would be pretty close as, like, a 1A, 1B. But this was Kawhi pulling for the Clippers this year. So he was first on the team in all of these categories. So to be honest, the Clippers were quite dependent on Kawhi Leonard to just get to this 70, 47 and 25 record. We know they're significantly talented, but how talented are they relative to the rest of the league? And these numbers that I saw, second in strength of record, second in net rating, fourth in offensive rating, eighth in defensive rating, being a top eight in both categories, point to saying the Clippers are going to be fine. They're going to beat the Dallas Mavericks. They're going to beat maybe the Utah Jazz. The Clippers are going to be okay. The Clippers are a better team than everything that's being suggested here. That the Clippers are really, really good. And they should thoroughly control the Dallas Mavericks for the rest of the series based on our representative sample from the regular season. But what it also points to is that when Kawhi Leonard isn't on, the Clippers are really going to struggle. Lo and behold, when you look at the statistics from the fourth quarter, of game one between the Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Clippers, Kawhi Leonard, who had 26 points and eight rebounds in the game, had three points. The game was tied with four and a half minutes to go, and the Dallas Mavericks beat the Clippers by 10. So the Clippers were playing up to their standards, and then in the fourth quarter, Kawhi Leonard had three points which confirms the research that I did for this podcast, is that the Los Angeles Clippers should very easily handle the Dallas Mavericks. They are a they are a legitimately good team. It's not like, oh my gosh, they're the four seed, they're a fraud. No, the Clippers are a legitimately great team. They have the second best strength of record in the league, second in net rating, fourth in offensive rating, eighth in defensive rating. But more so than last year, the Los Angeles Clippers are increasingly dependent to an unhealthy extent on Kawhi Leonard. And I feel like when they play a team like the Utah Jazz, who finished first in the league in defensive rating and fourth in the league in offensive rating and were first in the Western Conference in projected, or I'm sorry, strength of, not strength of record, sorry, projected, well, 
there. There. I'm combining two stats here. Let's just say best record in the NBA. I'm going to be dummy and say best record in the NBA. Um, with the Utah Jazz, and more specifically the Los Angeles Lakers towards the back end if LeBron and AD are healthy, and God forbid an NBA Finals matchup against that killer three with the Brooklyn Nets or the the Milwaukee Bucks or the Sixers. I'll throw the Sixers in there. But with that being said, I think they can be exposed by a team better than the Dallas Mavericks. And that's not to say that Dallas isn't a great team. Like Dallas is a very good team. It's just when they when you stack that up against the Clippers and the Dallas Mavericks, according to basketball reference, ended up this year with a well, first of all, we talked about earlier they won twelve. They won twelve bleh, sorry. Cat <laughs> got my tongue on that one. But the Dallas Mavericks won. 12 games over 500, which is better than they were last year. But we talked about the Clippers had fourth in offensive rating, eighth in defensive rating, second in net rating this year. According to basketball reference, the Dallas Mavericks were, uh, let's see, in terms of strength of record, they were ninth in the NBA compared to the Clippers second. In terms of uh, win, or sorry, offensive rating, they were ninth in the league compared to the Clippers fourth. And defensive rating, they were 20th in the league compared to the Clippers' 8th. So, to no one's surprise, the Clippers are much better than the Dallas Mavericks. And the Clippers will win this series probably rather handily as I talk about this. But they're also increasingly dependent on Kawhi Leonard. And this is a statistic that we need to keep in mind as we keep going forward in this playoffs and in this Western Conference when we evaluate the Clippers. Because it's been really hard to evaluate the Clippers up to this point in the regular season. So I think a douchey hockey guy is going to come out here, but I kind of want to combine douchey hockey guy with douchey golf guy right now, because uh, there is a couple of awesome things going on right now in both of those worlds. Maybe actually, now that I think about it, let's make it a trifecta. Let's do douchey hockey guy with douchey golf guy combined with douchey baseball guy because my San Diego Padres have won eight, count them, eight straight games ever since Fernando Tatis Jr. caught COVID-19 and uh, it forced Jorge Mateo and Jerks and Profar and Eric Hosmer and Will Myers out of the lineup. We have won eight consecutive games, so shout out to my San Diego Padres. But with that being said, Let's talk douchey hockey and douchey golf. But first of all, we're going to combine both of those now that I think about it. So second of all, because I technically just talked about my Padres. So Phil Mickelson and Brooks Kepka are tied for the lead at the PGA Championship. And either way, whichever way it ends up going, it's going to be epic and fun and amazing to watch golf tomorrow. It's one of those five weekends of the year where golf matters, the four majors and Pro Bowl weekend in the NFL. Those are the five weekends that golf matters. This is one of those weekends, and the PGA Championship is awesome. And the idea that 50-year-old Phil Mickelson, who only qualified for this tournament because he's won the PGA Championship in the past, Phil Mickelson is tied for first place, and he's going to draw everyone into their televisions because he hasn't won a tournament in like six years. That is going to be so much fun and Phil Mickelson is such a personality and behind Tiger Woods he's the second most recognizable face in golf for a previous generation 
for the current generation, the most recognizable face in golf is Jordan Spieth. And second on that list, but probably should be first, is Brooks Kepka. Because we've talked about Brooks Kepka before on the Take It Easy podcast. Brooks Kepka is so fun. And he is honestly one of my favorite athletes because even though he is kind of preppy, he don't give a bleep. Brooks Kepka talks about he doesn't even like golf. Like he he got cut from his baseball team in high school and that's what got him into golf. Like Brooks Kepka thinks golf is boring, but he can also rip drives 340 yards. So he's just going to apathetically destroy golf and win four majors and maybe win a fifth major in three years, which is insane on Sunday. For reference, Phil Mickelson, I believe, has only won like six majors in his entire career. And Brooks Kepka is about to win five in three years. Absolutely ridiculous what's going on right now. Sorry to correct myself. Phil Mickelson has won five majors. So Brooks Kepka is about to win the same number of majors as Phil Mickelson in three years if he can beat Phil Mickelson on Sunday at the PGA Championship. And, of course, it's golf. So it would be totally golf if Louis Oosthuizen just pulls up from six under and wins the PGA Championship because that would just be perfect golf for that to happen. So I'm pumped for that. In fact, there is Lakers Suns tomorrow. There is 76ers Wizards. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to be watching major championship golf and some of these epic hockey games because, boy, we had a a quadruple hockey matchup that I saved all the way to the very end of the podcast so that only those of you who love douchey hockey guy could make it all the way to the end. First of all, an epic duel in the Battle of Florida in Game 4 between the Ice Cats and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Drieger ended up getting lit up by the Tampa Bay Lightning and tempers flared towards the end of the game. We had a big brawl at the end of the game. Carter Verhage ended up getting like a double penalty. There was one point where there was a four on three with 120 left in a power play, which technically meant that if we had gone long enough, it would have been two on one with like 40 seconds left in the power play because there were so many penalties that were getting brought up there. All the temper and flair in that game, all the emotions coming out in the hated Battle of Florida led to a double awful day for the city of Miami and South Florida because their Ice Cats are now down 3-1 to the defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. And to be honest, probably should have been swept out. But stranger things have happened in hockey. 3-1 deficits are not impossible to overcome in hockey by any stretch of the imagination. And that's going to be good words of wisdom right now to tell to those Minnesota wild fans because the uh, domination by the Vegas Golden Knights sets them up down 3-1 against a team that coming into the series there were three series where it felt like it was going to be a domination by the teams in the series Carolina over Nashville which is slowly becoming an interesting series with the double overtime thriller from Friday that made it a 2-1 series game four coming on Sunday morning when you're listening to this actually right now you can actually go check and see if game four between the Nashville Preds and Pecorine and company and Roman Yossi versus those Carolina Hurricanes has gotten underway or maybe the game's over at this point. But at the moment, it's 2-1 in an interesting series. What I was leading with that is we all kind of assumed Carolina would dominate Nashville in that series. We all kind of assumed 
Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs would dominate the Canadians. And while the Maple Leafs did have a bounce back dominating performance without their star captain, John Tavares, they did end up having, they do have a one, one series right now. So at the very least, it's going to be interesting. And by the way, the Winnipeg jets are up 2-0 on Connor McDavid. That was probably uh, one that maybe was a fringe blowout, but we weren't exactly sure. And the other one would be Vegas against Minnesota. We felt like pretty certain Vegas was going to beat Minnesota. Now they're up 3-1 in that series. The epic game five between the Boston Bruins and the Washington Capitals gets underway today. So you guys should absolutely check that out whenever it's going on because that series has been amazing. So you should check that out as well. Uh, New York Islanders tied up the series 2-2 with Pittsburgh Penguins so that one looks like it's going to be a long series at the very least six games now but this one has kind of gone back and forth so I think it's going to be really fun and really interesting to watch what happens between the Islanders and Pittsburgh Penguins go look at the photo of Zach Wilson who actively chose to spend his Saturday night at a New York Islanders game and also go find the the statement the New York Islanders made after the George Floyd protests and the, the murder of George Floyd Go look at that statement. It'll tell you a little bit about Zach Wilson, Long Island, and New York as a whole, and the New York Jets as a whole. Go go look at those comparisons. Uh, sorry, I don't have the research prepared for you because I'm also inferring some stuff. Anyways, back to our regularly scheduled programming. I really struggle saying the regularly scheduled programming. I really struggle with that phrase. Um, anyways, so uh, back to the last few series here. So we've got that epic duel between the uh, Islanders and the Panthers is or Islanders and the Penguins is tied two two. Um, games tomorrow. Wait, did we get through all the ones I wanted to get to? Oh, games tomorrow. Um, oh, two zero. Edmonton really needs that victory tomorrow in the North Division presented by Scotiabank. Out in the West Division presented by Honda because again, hockey sponsors their divisions, and it's really funny that hockey sponsors their divisions. Colorado Avalanche, they were the third series where it felt like, yeah, probably going to dominate. We'll have a Vegas and Colorado duel. Right now it's a uh, 3-0 series, so Colorado can finish that off tomorrow. It's going to be interesting to see it finish off. So that's your uh, douchey hockey update, and it was a fun Saturday to get into hockey at this point. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping into the Take It Easy podcast. And thank you for stopping into Wired Up episode 74, which is kind of an extension of the Take It Easy podcast. So much to cover, so much fun that we had here today. I really appreciate everyone who stops in and makes it all the way through and then gets to be rewarded by me being a jerk and giving you douchey hockey segments. But watch the PGA Championship, watch some golf, watch some NBA basketball, going to be a fun fun weekend we already had half and i just had an hour podcast and i still have an hour more i'd like to talk about so take it easy everybody until next time have a great week and wow that was a terrible dismount what should we end with today let's end with lob city that our theme of the podcast was the clippers let's end with lob city City clips, CP332, play Griff, DeAndre Butler, and we got Billipson. LA, you don't know who you playing with. Got my other chick, gang, with my other chick. Sick Corsa, Jack Nicholson. Throwback jersey, I ain't selling it. Mom, I'm fresh enough, I'm fresh enough, peppermint. Red letter, man, Lob City killing it. Young, young money, young money, yeah, we getting rich. Got your grandma at the game. Yeah, girl.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.